DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Omar. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. In a previous episode of Regnum Novum, we spoke about the legacy of John Paul II. And one of the many gifts that he wanted to pass on to his spiritual children was the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church. That's right. He had called for it in various ways, but certainly in Ecclesia in America, he had called for a compendium, the Social Doctrine of the Church, as a kind of tool to help the laity uh, enter into that Social Doctrine. Prior to the Compendium coming out, there were sections, of course, in the, the Catechism that came out in, in 1993 that had had parts of the Social Doctrine in there and references to the documents but uh, in that section of the catechism, it, it didn't go into too, too much depth, and it certainly didn't present it as a, an integrated whole in connection with the rest of the church's teaching. What the compendium does is it, it does sort of place the social doctrine in the context of the rest of the, the church's teaching, all the way from what we understand about God, about the human person, and then what we understand about marriage and family and culture and economics, and, and it begins to answer some of those questions. In fact, I think a copy of the compendium should be in every single Catholic home. It's not always the last word. Sometimes it's just an invitation into conversation, which is one of the great ways you can use the compendium. But one of the ways to use it is to look up an issue in the back, be it just war or just wage or or women's rights or whatever it might be, and it will send you to a paragraph or two and, and give you a short summation and then lead you to certain other documents from the church, papal encyclicals or, or other things from the Second Vatican Council, for instance, that can help you sort of understand where the church is coming from and where she teaches what she teaches. You have spoken in the past about a particular document on catechesis that, again, was under the pontificate of John Paul that said it was a must yes. in the formation of adult Catholics. That's right. In, um, in 1979, in a document called Catechesis in Our Time, or Catechesis Tridende, Pope John Paul II, it was very clear there were three things we couldn't forget when doing catechesis. And this was just catechesis in general, in light of the Second Vatican Council. But the first one was that Jesus is God. The second one is the church is, is our mediator. Uh, but the third one is that uh, the social teaching should be part of the general catechetical education of the faithful. That's the phrase he used, the general catechetical education. So it's not a, a specialized you know, uh, aspect of the church's teaching. It's not an, uh, an elective you can choose to take or not. It's supposed to be general, part of the core of what we know as Catholics. Um, and for everybody, adults, but also our kids, John the Twenty Third said the same thing. So, yeah, the social doctrine, he gives us this compendium of the social doctrine of the church because he, he feels this is crucial. And instead of just sort of um, telling us to do something and not doing anything about it, the Holy Father went the next step and then helped 
provide for us uh, a document that we could turn to, to to help make it part of our general catechetical education. I don't think it's a push to say that both you and I are very excited about the next phase of the presentations in Regnum Novum, that we will be breaking open the compendium for all of us to learn, and that if you want to follow along with us, there's never going to be quite an easier way to receive this kind of formation, which all of you out there listening, Catholic or even if you're not Catholic, it would be a great opportunity to go into depth. Yes, that's true. First, on that last point, I know evangelicals who have turned to the church to to try to figure out a way that the, one can live a Christian life in the world, and they don't have a, a sort of a corollary in their own traditions, and so they've they've come to me, and I've pointed them to compendium, and and I've spoken with them about the social teaching of the church as a way for them to sort of ground their own Christian outreach to the poor, or to their neighbor, and their families, etc. So. For our evangelical and Protestant brothers and sisters, it's, it's a great tool even for them. But beyond that, like you said, we're learning through this as well. So we're going to sit down with the compendium and try to sort of bring out the main points of it. But groups are more than welcome to sort of sit down and read the text themselves. And, and if you have questions, you contact us and participate as we learn about the compendium. That's correct. And not only listening as you are right now, maybe you're over the radio, maybe it's over the Internet. Mm-hmm. But then you can go back and go to discerninghearts.com to be able to hear this again, like as you pointed out, to to involve your friends, to involve those people. Because I think it it can be said, can it, Omar, that once you dive into this, this can be as exciting and as compelling in some cases as scripture study. That's a good point because the the church's social teaching is so rooted in 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 the rest of the church's teaching, in scripture, in the tradition. It's coming from the magisterium that, uh, like everything else is the part of the church's social teaching, or the church's teaching, it, one can pray over it. One can do lexio over it, lexio divino, you're praying with the scriptures. One can uh, meditate on it. One can, can spend time with it. One can use it as a, as a form of, uh, as a prayer group or your men's group or women's group. One can use this as a tool to, to help expand the boundaries of our Christian life. And what's so beautiful about it is that it's, it's, it's designed to be eminently practical. And by that I mean it's going to give us the, the, the means by which we begin to think about how we live out our Catholic faith in the world. Let's begin, Professor. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, we start out right from the beginning, and you were talking before about Scripture. We look to Scripture. Uh, the chapter 1 of the Compendium talks about what we learn in the history of Israel and in God's relationship with them. And we learn right away, of course, that there is a relationship, that we have a God of relationship, but that this relationship means specific activity. It means a specific response from the other. Just like in any relationship, we're recording this on the anniversary of my wedding to my dear wife, and as we love each other and are in relationship with each other, there are certain things she expects of me, rightfully so, and I need to respond to that. Likewise with God and Israel, and the spousal language in the Old Testament is obviously very, very prominent. There's a response that needs to be there. And so we find in the Old Testament uh, the call to the Jubilee year, you know, every seven years, or the Sabbath year, every seven years, where uh, slaves are let go. You know, people are paid their wages. The land is allowed to, to rest. Right? There's no tilling of the land for that year. In other words, that this relationship with God, this, this, um, this covenant that we formed with him, requires specific activity, a kind of a, a cultural way of life 
from those who decide to answer that call from him. You see the scripture. Yeah. This is so integrated into what so many people have studied in the Old Testament. And it's, again, that was the what happened. This is the why it's happening. So you can live it out today. Exactly. So the, the reason, of course, God gives them is because this is part of recognizing who he is and that they are his own people. The behavior we have, especially in light of the poor. I mean, how many examples do we have from Isaiah, for instance, where he talks about caring for the widow and the orphans and for the poor. God is a God of justice in the Psalms. It's all over the place. This relationship, this belief in God, the what, has to result in a particular care for our neighbor. Christ, of course, draws on this, coming from that tradition, obviously, as a Jew. But obviously, he also reveals something even larger to us, and that is that we have a God who is a God of generosity, you know, who gives us his own son. I mean, just, that, just that alone is, is uh, earth-shattering and unique to Christianity, but that he in himself is a relationship. He's a communion of relations. There's a sense then that to be more like God, we have to take on this sense of a community, uh, of, of, uh, of an integrated community of persons and not just treat ourselves as individuals or individual cogs in a larger system. We know from Scripture that God is love. That's right. It's, it boils right down to the very basic. And love by its very nature gives. Yeah. If it is in a vacuum and isolated, it can't be love. Love needs to be shared. Exactly. For right. love to be experienced. So hence the relationship in the Trinity. Yeah. God gives, even in the creation of the world, he creates, 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 and then he gives, gives, gives. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then he waits for a response. Yeah. Where yeah. are you, man? Yes, and, 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 and what's beautiful about Blessed John Paul II was he was a philosopher before he became Pope and, and, a, and a brilliant one. And he, he points out that in this um, attempt to answer the modern question, the modern angst that we see in Sartre and all the rest of them, the existentialists, you know, I want to claim my own being and create my own self and invent my, and reinvent myself, etc. John Paul II's response to that is, if you want control over your own life, love. Because love is the only way you can demonstrate possession of yourself. You can't give what you don't have. So if you want to really have yourself, give yourself love. Uh, so this I-thou relationship, which the philosopher Martin Buber and others, is part and parcel of the, the culture of the Catholic Church and, and part and parcel of this approach to the social doctrine. To be who you really are, uh, you have to enter into relationship with others. It, it's more than Aristotle just saying that we're social beings. Yeah, sure we are, but, but even more than that, to become who we are, we have to be social. We have to enter into the social structure of society with eyes wide open. We can see it revealed in so many different ways, and that's another way that we come to know who God is in, a, in that relationship. Everything that expands gets bigger. <laughs> Everything that focuses inwardly gets smaller. Yeah. You see it in the universe. The universe is continually expanding. It gets bigger. There's more of it. But if you draw it in, all energy, all everything into one, into self, 
becomes a black hole that just sucks everything and nothing comes out. And that's the danger Mm. which we're being warned of in this particular teaching. Exactly. And one of the ways the church and and the the scriptures tell us, the revelation tells us to to avoid that is by realizing that our relationship with our neighbor is not a, it's not just a civil one. It's not a contractual one. It's not a one that's by happenstance or evolution. It's one rooted in the very loving, generous, self-giving nature of God. We were created as brothers and sisters to each other. We're all made in his image. So that there is a, a concrete reality of connection with each and every other human being. It's not forensic. It's not surfacy. It's not ephemeral. It doesn't pass. It's concrete. It stays. It's, it's, it's dynamic. It's wonderful. It's, it's enlivening. It's on fire. Uh, and it's permanent. Um, it, that relationship will always be there. Uh, the companion puts it this way, the commitment to, of mutual love, uh, which represents the law of life for God's people, must inspire, purify, and elevate all human relationships in society and in politics. Imagine if we had a politics where we understood that I'm really your brother, and you are really my sister, and therefore I have a, a responsibility to you that goes beyond simply the fact you belong to my party or that we, we, we grew up in the same neighborhood or something, but we're part of the same family. It does make a big difference, and it points out in the compendium, it goes back to the, the, the wonderful gift of social doctrine we call the Ten Commandments, yeah, right. that it was the original guidelines, essentially, that really helped us not only in that relationship to, uh, to be able to love God in return, but then how do we interact in society? Yes. How do we treat one another? Exactly. That's a per- you know, that, those first three is about our relationship with God. But it, that's not it. It's not just a me and God thing. It's not just me and Jesus. It also has ramifications in how I treat my neighbor. Um, you, that, that's the, sort of the fundamental point there is at the beginning of this compendium is that uh, you have to have both ends. Right? It's not just a, your own personal relationship with God. It's how you treat other people. Uh, and as... And that's not necessarily an uncommon position to have for, for religions. But as we go forward and as Jesus begins to reveal to us this Trinitarian love, we come to realize something a little bit more deeper than just treat other people as you would have them treat you. Um, what the Compendium invites us to do as it goes on to talk about Jesus' revelation is it invites us to realize that when we are caring for the other person, we are caring for ourselves. It's not just, so it's not just treat other people as you would have them treat you, the golden rule. It's treat them because they are you. Love them because it's you. And it's you because you're in Christ. Right? And we're all part of the body of Christ. So uh, that requires a little paradigm shift in how we think. And it begins to show that, you know, one, this is an invitation to something new. Two, it's an invitation, right? It's not a matter of submission. That's one of the dangers sometimes happens with social justice teaching or social doctrine is people sort of approach it in terms of, this is just one more thing you ought to do. Unless you're doing X, Y, and Z, you're not being a true Catholic. Uh, and that ends up leading to issues of guilt and oppression and submission, et cetera. That's not, that's not where the church wants us to go with this. This is an invitation into relationship with Christ that ends up allowing us to understand, I'm really connected with you, and you are another self. But beyond that, to, to love you as myself, I, I need something more than just natural virtue. I need supernatural grace. And that's where the companion then leads us to, ah, where do you get that supernatural grace? But from Christ and his church. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app 
which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorare Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. It helps us, ultimately, to really see the beauty of the teachings of St. Paul, mm. the great one who helped us to appreciate this mystical body of Christ, oh, good point, yeah. bringing this all into that, because it's, it's Galatians 2.20. It is not <laughs> I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's because of our virtue of our baptism. Once you have been baptized, once you've just received one holy communion in there, in you, you have become the new man. It dwells in you from Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We are called to be Christ. And that's who the Father sees. When he sees us, he sees Christ in us. We're supposed to die to the, the old self yes. and become the new man, become Christ out in the world. And that's ultimately where this is, that, that connection. Exactly. It's not, it, you, I hope you, the, the listeners begin to understand this is not just, and this is an important point, and I'll explain why in a second. This is not just, another version of Confucianism or Buddhism or, or Taoism or, or any other sort of pop psychology which says uh, you treat people as you would want them to be treated or you'd be civil to people, whatever. Every religion has that. I mean, we all understand that. Atheists understand that. And this is why I think this is an important point to dwell on for a second. We all are aware, I think, of the, the atheist move, the new atheists who are almost evangelical in their atheism. Uh, and the late Christopher Hitchens would often say, he would say, if um, the notion that I require religion, particularly Christianity, in order to be civil and kind to my fellow man is, is an insult to the human person. And he was right, right? We don't require religion per se in order to be civil to our fellow man. 
But that is not what Christianity is asking for. That is not what the social doctrine is about. The social doctrine is not about social welfare. It's not about just being kind to one another. It's about, as you were just explaining what St. Paul was saying, it's about treating the other as Christ, treating them as yourself. And that is not common. That's not in any other faith. It's not pretend. That's right. You're not, it's and not it's pretend. not you're pretending that, okay, well, that person, because they're like Christ. No, it is Christ. Yes, exactly. Mother Teresa is a great purveyor of this as well. Yes. She said, when you realize that it's Christ who lives in you, then the person on the street who you minister to is the suffering Jesus. Exactly. It's the struggling Jesus. It's the one who's carrying his cross. It's the, it, it, you are to go. If It's your moment in the passion of the Christ when you see them suffering, you see them struggle. What would you do if you were in that crowd? What would you do? Would you be the Veronica or would you be the soldier that's spitting at them? Yes. Or maybe the crowd, the, the one who walks away. Who walks away. That, that's the question we have to, I mean, that's, there are a number of questions that are asked by Christ in the New Testament. Um, who do people say that I am? Um, uh, will you follow me? Do you love me? All those questions he asks are, just, are, are wonderful. Um, and, and you can meditate on those just in themselves. But, but ultimately it comes down to what will you do? How will you react to this? Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? Those are the fundamental questions. And, and those are the questions being asked of every single human person who's ever been made. What is your reaction to this revelation that God loved us so much he sent his only son for our sake? What's your reaction to that? What's your reaction to the cross? Um, will you turn yourself over to that to be transformed? And the reason why the Catholic social doctrine is so important is because when we do look at the gospel, we do hear this message. We also, because we're very, this is who we are, we are seeing a story taking place mm. In Jerusalem, we see it in Capernaum. We see it in the shore of Galilee. The Catholic social doctrine shows us what that looks like in the United States of America in the 21st century. What does this look like in Europe or in Latin America in the 21st century? Mm -hmm. So that's where the connectedness is. It helps us live it out, navigate, given the circumstances we find ourselves in now. A very good point, because one of the things people forget when we think about the word Catholic, we've heard before, I think, that it means universal. But the universality of it is geographical, but it's also chronological. And by that I mean that we are, we're being connected with people throughout the ages, from all times and all peoples. And so the social doctrine helps us connect ourselves to those fishermen on the shore of Galilee who were hearing the exact same things that we're reading in the Gospels, and helps us understand how to live that out today. Go back to just a particular term that I think every Catholic should not be afraid of, and we should understand it's natural law. Yeah. Because it does affect, well, it does affect everything. And it's one that has gotten twisted around, especially by, ooh, even theologians. Yeah, even theologians. <laughs> yeah, well, natural law is, uh, an, is an entrance into the basic understanding of what uh, who we are as individuals. Uh, one of the things the social doctrine is, is fundamentally based on, and, and, and this first chapter touches on that, is understanding uh, our human identity. The natural law helps us understand that through the use of our rational capacity, we can understand certain aspects of how we ought to behave based on our very human natures. Uh, if we believe in that there is a fundamental human dignity uh, that is part of our very nature and not dependent on what we can do or on what we can say, 
then from that follow certain realities of, of life uh, that we have to follow, including things like the, some of the things we find in the Ten Commandments, that sanctity of life and sanctity for property, you know, the sacredness of property and, and, and all the other things that come from that. Uh, natural law, unfortunately, is sometimes sort of pushed aside and has been pushed aside a lot in the last few decades because the overarching philosophy is there is no such thing as human nature. Human nature can change. We can, we can make ourselves into whatever we want to be. That denies, of course, that there is a God who's created us, right? that he has control over us, and he made us a certain way. It also gives us a lot of power, which is very tempting. But what it ultimately does is it destroys any foundation for a moral law that can be applied equally across people. What's remarkable with the natural law is it allows us to be free. It lets us be free to be who we really are because it equalizes the standards for all of us. It gives us the parameters in which to, to function so that we can grow and, and be more fruitful rather than giving in our hands the power to recreate who we are and therefore enslaving us usually to our own passions and desires. That's so important because it identifies, especially for the Christian, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. The image and likeness of God is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So if we're made in his image, we're called to be and respond with that, that goodness, the, the fullness of that word goodness yes. in his image. What do we do? We feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the poor, visit the imprisoned, mm-hmm. welcome the stranger, mm-hmm. Matthew 25. He told us very clearly, very these clear. are the things I will be able to identify you by your actions. Yes. But we do it because, the why, we do it because it's him. We do it because it's him. Uh, that's the beginning of the message that, of our real identity. That's what Christ reveals to us. And that's one of the great lines from the Second Vatican Council, from Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22. Christ reveals man to himself. He shows us who we really are. So you want to find out who you are? Sure, you can watch Oprah or read any number of various things. But to really know who you really are, you need to turn to Christ, and he'll show you who you are. That is such a key point you just brought up, the the term, he will show us. He will show you. You have to have a relationship with him (laughs) then so that he can reveal it to you personally. Yes. And that has to come through that nurturing and prayer. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's not a, a program. It's not a... You know, a series of books, it's not a self-help thing. It's certainly not a self-help thing. It's a, if you will, a surrender in relationship to one who loves you so much, their only desire is that you become the best you. You will not have any kind of relationship with anybody else in your whole life that will be as pure as that relationship because the only thing Christ wants for you is for you to be the best you you can be. And it just so happens that that best you is somebody who is in relationship with him and will hopefully be with him forever in heaven. In closing this particular segment, on just the beginnings of the, the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, what would you have them take away? What would you say their homework would be? <laughs> the, the, I would have you take away this notion, first of all, again, that this isn't just some other welfare activity. This isn't just some effort on for the sake of the poor, uh, but this is an entrance into a relationship with Christ that has certain ramifications to it. Among those, most chiefly, is that your neighbor is you. It is you. So encounter your neighbor and open yourself up to that possibility. So your homework then is to, as you're interacting with people at work, at home, 
and any sort of social gathering, recognize that everything you do, even the words out of your mouth, right, have to reflect that respect for you, that that person is another you and is another Christ. I may have a tougher assignment for them. Okay. Take a look at the person that is the hardest for you to love, mm. the person who is your enemy, and look at them and see Jesus. Mm. Pray for them. Yes. Forgive them. That's right. Even if the hurt is a tremendous hurt. Mm-hmm. That would be, I mean, that isn't that at oh, its very, very that's core? That's the thing. And that's the way to, to pray for that because that's a grace. Uh, and that's what you begin to understand is that you start looking at your life and with specificity even at your own enemies, you'll begin to realize that you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. You need Christ to help you. You need, you need the grace for him to help you forgive and to love and, and, and to behave as, as you want to behave. Um, and that's going to require the sacramental life and, and, and the rest, which we'll talk about. Yeah, and if it hurts to look at that person, if there's a pain right there, go to Jesus. That's right, take he that said, to Jesus. Yeah, take that to Jesus. You need healing. Because until those wounds are healed, it's mm-hmm. going to be very difficult to be able to traverse Absolutely. in this world. And that's probably the greatest challenge right now. That's right. And there's a reason he's called the divine physician. because he's, he's there to heal that. And he did not leave us alone. Mm. If you need that divine physician, he's right there. He's right, right. there in the, the Eucharist. He's right there in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And find him in the scriptures. Yes. Whatever you do, but seek him out. He's, he's closer than you think. That's right. And waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Omar. My pleasure. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, We hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.